0: This is the Confident Collective Podcast with your hosts, Christina Zias and Rayanne Langis, two plus-size models and body activists here to get
1: real and candid about living your most confident life. Get ready for powerful conversations that will leave you laughing, motivated, and inspired.
0: Welcome back. <laughs> Me and Christina are just looking at each other. Are you going to start? Am I going to start? <laughs> I'm starting. Welcome back to the podcast. All I have to say is, get your pen and paper out um, for this episode or your phone where you take notes because there are so many good takeaways in this episode. It's madness. Before we get started, I got to say, I am dying to know what bed frame you and Steve got because your stories yesterday were killing me. And more importantly, I love how we just always talk about Steve and his shenanigans and what he does. It brings me so much entertainment.
1: Oh my gosh. For those of you that don't know, Steve and I just moved and we're on the hunt for all this new furniture and we needed to get mattresses. And so many people sent so many great recommendations, but it's like hard to buy a mattress online. And we decided to go somewhere in person so we could feel them out. And Steve was like, we need to go to sit and sleep. I've seen their commercial. (laughs) And like, they're the ones that have the commercials that are like, you're killing me, Larry. So we go and we actually had to lay on this bed and they mattress match you.
0: This seems like we're going back to like the 1980s because I feel like everyone gets their mattresses online. We went back
1: to the 1980s for sure. I felt like that the store looked like it was from the eighties as well too. Um, But we found out that Steve and I both need firmer mattresses. Mm. And the funny part is is that Steve somehow talked into getting to spending thousands of dollars on a bed frame that massages you (laughs) and elevates you. And like, can lift your feet up, can lift your head up. And it was just so funny. I'm like, Steve, this guy is like definitely like upselling us like crazy. And the guy was like, well, do you want the Ferrari bed frame or do you want the four bed frame? Steve's like, I got to have the Ferrari bed frame. And Steve is someone who like doesn't spend money like that at all. Like the guy has not bought anything.
0: He's been wearing shirts from the bag for a whole year. He hasn't bought new clothes. <laughs> he hasn't bought new clothes in a decade. The
1: only clothes that he has bought are ones that I have purchased for him or that my family has given him for Christmas. So he doesn't spend money like that. So the fact that he wanted this Ferrari bed frame so badly was so
0: funny. So you got the Ferrari bed frame. It's coming, baby. Oh, I'm it's actually coming. jealous. My bed frame is the worst. It's so squeaky. It wakes me up every single night. Oh, Well, I'll keep you guys posted on this one. But
1: speaking of money, that is something that we have just spent a lot of money on.
0: And the perfect segue into <laughs> today's episode with Tori. She is our money expert.
1: So today we have Tori Dunlap on our podcast. She is, I guess, a financial expert, right? Even though she, she's a financial expert, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she's not a financial advisor. That's what she says in the podcast. So it's like a little disclaimer here or there. She is so knowledgeable. She taught Ray and I so much, and there's so many incredible takeaways about money, which is such a freaking taboo topic. And... I think that as women, we really need to do a better job about talking about money, Mm -hmm. about asking for more money, um, about feeling comfortable about money, spending it, saving it. And I think Tori does a really great job of giving us some tangible takeaways.
0: Yeah. And if you're listening right now and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't even want to think about my money right now because let me tell you, That was me. I was so overwhelmed by my financial situation. I was in debt and I avoided listening to things like this because it just made me address these things instead of continuing to sweep it under the rug, which was and is sometimes my favorite thing to do. So I just want to say like, this is a place where we are talking money completely judgment-free. This is like let go of your shame, Um, you're going to want to listen to this. I just want to preface that because I know when you hear money, it can kind of be scary or intimidating, and that is not this at all. And on top of it, it doesn't matter if you have hundreds of
1: thousands of dollars saved, or if you're in debt, or if you're in college, or you're in high school and your parents pay all your bills. It doesn't matter. We could all learn about money. Um, It's something that I feel like we don't learn about in school or growing up enough. So we're here to teach you what we've learned and Luckily, we have Tori to help us along the way. So should we get started? Let's do it. All right, you guys, I hope you love this episode and make sure to tune in to the show notes because we'll have so many great takeaways and immediate links that you can click on right there.
0: Today's guest I actually discovered through TikTok. Thank God for TikTok. Um, So today we get to sit down and chat money, money, money with Tori Dunlap. She is the creator of her first 100K, and she immediately stood out to me with her fun and approachable content geared towards women. She is a nationally recognized millennial money and career expert, and you may have seen her on Good Morning America, The Today Show, The New York Times, or People Magazine, and that is just to name a few. Her mission is to give women the tools and resources to harness their power and get their financial shit together. So we are so excited to welcome Tori to the
2: podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And that's actually how I found both of you is TikTok. So I don't know if you know this. I was following, oh, I think both of you for a really long time. And then you reached out to have me come on the show. And I was a little starstruck. I was like, what? Oh my gosh, I had no idea. We're so flattered. Thank you. We're
1: like, oh my
0: gosh. I was
2: very flattered. I was like, they're reaching out. All right, let's do this. Let's have a conversation about personal finance. So no, I'm really, I'm stoked to be here.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I love that. Gosh, TikTok is just, you know, bringing people (laughs) together. Sometimes it's a really ruthless place, but other times it's good. (laughs) (laughs) That's how
2: I feel about all social media.
0: So
1: true. I've been telling Ryan, I was like, I am so excited for this conversation with Tori. I feel like money is such a taboo topic and women are so scared to talk about it and we shouldn't be at all. Um, So we are so stoked for this conversation. We can't even tell you.
2: Amazing. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I do what I do is because we've been told our entire lives that money is taboo, right? We're told that it's gauche or it's impolite to talk about money. And really what's happening, right, is that's the patriarchy's way of continuing to stay in power. Because the old straight white guys who already have money are the ones who are talking about money. And they're also the ones continuing the narrative that not talking about money is, you know, or talking about money is rude. And so us, you know, women, people of color, any marginalized group, right, you're, you're wondering, how do I get ahead? How do I start having these conversations about money realizing that you've been told your entire life that it's impolite. So, yeah, I think it's our our best form of protest is having conversations about money and getting financially educated.
0: I love that. So, to kind of get started, you're kind of touching on it already, but how did you can you just give us a quick background of like how you got to where you are? Like where your passion for this came from and just fill fill our listeners in on who you are and how you got to where you are.
2: Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have a really great financial education growing up. So, I actually started my first business at age nine I owned vending machines the kind where you put a quarter in you get a handful of candy out the gumball machines And then I ended up owning 15 of those by the time I graduated high school and all the profits went to my college fund So I later sold that business after like 11 years to a 10 year old who also happens to be named Tori And you can't see this but there's a photo on my desk of me on the day I sold my business and her and we look like each other like she could be my little sister Um, and so I knew the business thing was rare, right? I knew that was not normal. Um, but I also had parents who were really committed to, you know, uh, I saw my dad negotiate our cable bill every month. I saw my mom balance the checkbook on the 13th and the 21st. So I grew up with parents who were really committed to financially educating me and making that the norm. And I graduated college thinking, okay, everybody has parents who do this, right? Everybody knows how to manage their money, how to pay off debt, how to, you know, invest and of course, I realized very quickly that that wasn't the case. So I graduated college in 2016 and was kind of coming into womanhood and coming into adulthood in Trump's America and was realizing that I was the friend that all my friends were coming to for advice and guidance around money. And it was also, like I said earlier, like our best form of protest of having that financial education, having resources around feeling financially confident can mean that you start transforming your life and you're able to to transform the lives of others. So I started her first 100K on the side of my 9 to 5 in marketing a little over 3 years ago, and then hit my 100K goal of saving $100,000 at age 25, went on a crazy Italian road trip with my best friend, was on Good Morning America when I came home, and then 2 weeks later, quit my corporate job to run my business full-time. So yeah, it's just been the craziest journey. And it's really confirmed for me, especially with my success on TikTok, that like there is a need for this and that women want and need the financial education. There's just not enough people talking about it.
0: Yeah, that is so true because why you really stuck out to me was when you said like your parents taught you how to manage money and that was always something in my household, it could not be different. I was Mm -hmm. just telling Mm -hmm. Christina before we got on, for in my house, money was always a source of fighting about money, my, you know, spending too much or not having enough. So right. I had to like realize that my mindset about money was it equals conflict. It's never, there's never enough. And so therefore, I, for a long time, and I'm still like working on this, but would just not want to deal with it. I would just sweep right. it under the rug. And you have such a cool approach that I think no matter where you're at financially, women can come and know it's like judgment free and totally figure their money shit out as you say.
2: Yeah, and I think I I know that it was a privilege to have that financial education. Like there's so many so many people who come to me with that same relationship with money because yeah, their their parents didn't have didn't have the best relationship with money. And so um I I'm really committed to you know creating a space a no judgment no shame we already feel so much judgment and shame as women. Like the last thing we need is more shame and judgment about money. And so I think that with the privilege of the financial education I did have came a responsibility, a responsibility to have these conversations and to educate women about money and to do it in a way that didn't make them want to run away.
1: What are some things that you think you learned growing up that maybe most people aren't taught?
2: Yeah, Um. fun stat is that most of our money habits are actually cemented by age seven. What? So, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that crazy? So when you start thinking about that, right? And it's like cue the Robin Williams gif of like, it's not your fault, right? Mm-hmm. But like, it it isn't. It's so much of how we grew up. And so, you know, I, I had parents, again, who, you know, talked to me about like, I remember like my earliest money memory was me saving to go to Annie the musical. Um, I am a big theater nerd. I'm, I actually have a theater degree. And so for me, I saved like all of my pennies in an Altoids tin so I could go see Annie the Musical at like our local theater. And that was part of the discussion from very early on in my childhood was like, if you wanted something, you know, either ask for it for Christmas, but until then, like you save the money to to be able to buy it yourself. And so I learned that really early. I also, I mean, we were having conversations about how to correctly use a credit card when I was probably 14 or 15 before I even had one. It was very much like if, you don't have the money for it. You don't put it on a credit card because that is a loan. Mm-hmm. So we were having those conversations, and then as I started making my own money um, in college and even in high school, it was a lot of you know. Again, we're saving this money for college. We're saving it for your future, you know. And and also the balance of learn to spend your money on things that are actually important to you, right? So travel was really big in my family, um, uh, but my parents are still they're still very frugal people. They still live in the house I grew up in they drive cars that are you know 10 years old and so it it was very much the the concept of like save what you can and also money is meant to be spent but hopefully on the things that you actually like and bring you joy and and that's one of the big things that I've taken into my own work because a lot of these personal finance experts dave ramsey are like the reason right that you're you're not rich is because you spend too much money on coffee or avocado toast or you know whatever and one that's not true right the math doesn't work out two it implies right that that you you can't have fun right that money is only meant to be saved and hoarded and that you can't use it to actually spend money on things that you like and three it doesn't acknowledge the systemic issues of you know 1 trillion dollar student debt crisis pay gaps all of those sorts of things and so that's one big thing i think that my parents taught me that i've taken into my work is is making sure yes save money but also Like money is also meant to be spent on things that you actually like that can better your life right now.
1: It's so funny thinking about that. Cause like, as you're talking, I'm, I'm, I've never really thought about money as like in my childhood or how I grew up. Mm. And so many memories came to mind. Like I remember the first time I spent money, I was probably like five or six years old and it was tooth fairy money. And my, I bought a Barney video, like Barney's camp from century 21 and I remember my, oh my mom God. being like, are you sure you want to spend $20 on this video and having a, like, a legit conversation in Century 21 right. and being like, okay, but if you spend it, then you're not gonna be able to get anything else. So just make sure that's how you want to spend your money. And that's so clear, like that, that, yeah. that, that memory.
0: See, and my first money memory, which is like so sad, mom and dad, I love you, but it was <laughs> literally my mom and dad screaming at each other because my oh, mom man. would buy things and not tell my dad. And so hiding money was a huge thing. And I guess I think it's important to like recognize those things. But let's say you have someone who has these really like difficult beliefs around money. How would you help someone like start to get over that?
2: Um, I actually have a whole course that I do with this because I partnered. Actually, she'd be a great person to have on the show as well. My friend Alexis, who's a positive psychology coach. So we actually partnered on a course called Master Your Money where I come in with the actionable financial resources and she's there to, like, unpack all of the psychological shit around money. Oh, my God. Sign me up. (laughs) Oh, I'll send you a link. Um, But we worked really hard to create this course together because we realized, right, the, the connection between those two. And we have so many people who go through the course who are like, to your point, like I hadn't thought about money in this way, or, Oh, this is why I have the relationship I do with money. And so we do a lot of like journaling. We do a lot of prompts with people of like, we're already talking. What's your first money memory? Like, write that down. Talk about either, you know, the positive feelings or maybe the negative feelings that, that, that festers right. Or, or brings up for you. Um, yeah. Was it, was it something that, that, really helped accelerate your, your financial wellness and your financial stability? Or was it something as a kid that, that now harms your relationship around money? Right. So yeah, I have so many clients whose parents like had such a bad relationship with credit cards that they would literally take their credit card, put it in a block of ice and put it in the freezer. Right. Like would literally like could not see their credit cards because they were worried of like what, what they would do. And so I think really exploring that and then offering yourself some grace too. Of just knowing again, like it's not your fault. The habits that you've developed might be cemented in how you grew up with money, and as well the societal impact of not talking about money and not having that financial education. And so, um, I'm writing my first book right now, and I could go into a whole thing about this, but I talk a lot already about like the predatory systems that are existing in the financial community, right? Of like store credit cards. Who prey on teenage girls, right? Who don't have an understanding of what a credit card actually is, who don't know that like they have to pay it back at a certain time or else, you know, their credit tanks. And so there's been so many stories that, that I've encountered of just, yeah, this lack of financial knowledge ending up, you know, completely transforming somebody's life. And then on the flip side, if you have that financial knowledge, transforming their life in the best way possible. And so, it's It's important to recognize that, yeah, a lot of it probably came from your family and also you're we're not taught this in school. we're not given the resources to educate ourselves, right? And so we have all of these predatory companies who know that and especially with women, they know that we largely didn't have these conversations and so they're they're preying on that and profiting from it so Offer yourself some grace. Like there's a there's a, there's a lot stacked against us.
0: That is
1: so true. And thinking about store credit cards, they are so dangerous, and it is so predatory. It makes me sick. I worked in retail so for so many years, and you'd get like bonuses for opening up a credit mm-hmm. card, and I never would want to open up credit cards for people. And I would have like management being like, oh, like you know, you you really should try and like work on your credit card goal. I'm like, no, that is not a goal I want to work on because this is terrible. People aren't getting out of it. Like we're scamming people. But you're so yeah. right. They do prey on young women in particular because as soon as you're 18, right? You can open up a credit card.
2: And you can open up one even sooner if you have like parental approval, right? Or, or a parental even co-signer. So the example I give in my book is Victoria's Secret of this woman who worked at Victoria's Secret who to your point, yeah, that was, that was the goal, right? That was success in her job was getting people to sign up for credit cards and then branding it, right? In the language they would use as like a rewards card. Mm-hmm. And so you had sixteen-year-old girls who were buying like lacy underwear, you know, and who who had no idea that their credit was going to be tanked for mm-hmm. the next decade, because Victoria's Secret knows they knows who you know they know who their clientele is, and so and it's not just Victoria's Secret; it's, right. it's a yeah. lot of these stores. But I think that's the perfect example of a specific group, you know, of people, uh, you know, young women, and and just the lack of financial education ending up transforming their life. in a, And unfortunately, in this case, a really negative way.
1: So as you speak to more and more women, do you find that there's some common misconceptions that women have around money? And what are those?
2: Yeah, I think we've been told our entire lives that money isn't for us. And you can't see me, but I'm putting for us in quotes um, around... Yeah. like I, Again, uh, we see that if you are raising a boy versus a girl, assuming that that, that is the gender identity that they're choosing... We, we give boys, uh, you know, Legos and things to build, right? We give them autonomy immediately as they're growing up. And we give girls things to care for. We give them dolls. We give mm-hmm. them, you know, uh, uh, wedding veils, right? And we're taught even from a young age that you're, you're, your purpose is in service of somebody else. And we're taught that about money as well, right? We're taught like, okay, learn how to like coupon clip and learn how to budget in order to take care of the house, Right, stereotypically, and men are taught how to build wealth. They're taught how to invest. They're taught how to buy property. They're taught how to negotiate at work. And so, uh, these these again societal norms continue to enforce in us that money isn't our area. Wall Street is like the most masculine place. There's very few women who work there. Their their symbol is a bull, right? It's very masculine, and so when you're thinking to yourself, okay, money isn't for me, right? Or, oh, I'll, you know, I'll get my budget together, but that's, that's all I need to do. You, you can't grow wealth that way. So that's, I think, one misconception that we hear is that just money isn't for us. Um, the second is, is the fear around all of this. So I think more and more women are realizing, like, I want to start investing. I want to start building wealth, but I just don't know how. And I'm afraid of doing it wrong. Like I hear that all of the time. And actually that's the number one reason women don't invest.
1: I'm scared of doing it's it just wrong. Fear. Mm-hmm. Right. Fear yeah. of
2: doing it wrong. And again, that's the lack of education, right? And the lack of, of seeing women represented, you know, on wall street or, you know, building wealth through investing. And so that's what I'm really, I'm really trying to do is unpack all the bullshit while also giving you actionable resources of like, here's what an IRA is. And here's why that's a smart, you know, tool for investing. Here's the difference between a stock and a bond. Because we also, uh, you know, when you do start learning about investing, it it's not the basics. You just everybody assumes you already know what a stock is, or already assumes you know what a 401k is. And so, um, yeah, I think making money less intimidating is really, really what I was put on this earth to do.
1: Well, with that said though, because I feel like a lot of our listeners are probably like, actually, I don't know what a stock is or sure. a bond or an IRA. Can you just give us a quick little money vocabulary
2: happy to so a stock is a little tiny sliver of a company so it's like you know a like grain of sand on amazon's beach but you own a little tiny piece of that company a bond means that you actually are giving a loan to either a company or a government so you are earning money via the interest that they are they're paying in you or you loaning them money so Um, I am not a financial advisor. That's my legal disclaimer. But typically, a financial advisor will tell you that when you're younger, you want to be more invested in stocks because you have more time, right? You have 20, 30, 40 years until you need that money in retirement. And then as you age, you're moving out of stocks and into bonds because stocks are uh, more profitable, but they tend to be riskier. Um, There's groups of stocks like ETFs, mutual funds, index funds. And if any of this is confusing, I explain it on TikTok as well. But um, there's groups of stocks that can make that experience less risky. Um, But as you move and and age, then you're moving more of your money into bonds because bonds are more stable, um, but less profitable. Um, And then an IRA or a 401k, these are both tax-advantaged retirement accounts, meaning that the government's incentivizing you to save for retirement by giving you some tax breaks. Mm So 401k is typically offered through your work. Um, You can also open a solo 401k if you're an entrepreneur. And then an IRA is an individual retirement account. That's what it stands for. So that means that you don't need an employer to open that up. Almost anybody can open up an IRA. And so those are two basic, basic options around saving for retirement or investing for retirement, really.
0: Speaking on retirement, because I think that's so important because it feels so far yeah. off, but like it's not. Do you no. have... For, I guess, touching on someone, do you have any tips for like a freelancer, the best maybe account to open, what percentage they should be putting in since they don't have that kind of like set up and that matching program from their employer?
2: Yeah. So I like to say personal finance is personal. Ultimately, it depends on your goals. It depends on, you know, are you paying off debt elsewhere? What does that look like? Um, But a good option for a self-employed person is an IRA. Um, or what's called a SEP IRA. Um, That's SEP IRA. It is um, a self-employed plan. So if you're an entrepreneur and actually if you're a side hustler too, you don't have to be a full-time entrepreneur to open up a SEP IRA. Um, And then there's different contribution limits for both, meaning like this is the maximum you can contribute. Um, So one of the reasons why I hit my 100K as fast as I did is I had a 401K through my nine to five job. I had an IRA and then I had a SEP IRA with my side hustle earnings. So Either an IRA, a SEP IRA, or a self-employed 401k are all great options. Um, And then really, I mean, retirement is the biggest expense of our lives. And I wish that we talked about it more like that. Mm. Because yes, I'm 26. Retirement's probably pretty far off. But I'm also thinking to myself, okay, I have have to sustain myself as many years in retirement as I do working, right? I'm roughly going to work for probably 35 to 40 years. And if you're retiring at 65, let's hope we live to like 95, right? You've got 30 plus years that you have to sustain yourself not working. And they're probably going to be really expensive because you're getting older, right? You have maybe more health insurance costs and that sort of thing. So beyond sending yourself to college, beyond sending your kids to college, beyond buying a house, it is the biggest expense of our lives. And I want 65 year old me to have the most kick-ass retirement. Like I want her sitting on a beach, you know, in Palm Springs, drinking Chardonnay with lunch and like flirting with her Pilates instructor. Like that is what I want. And if I am going to give 65 year old me that, that means that yes, I enjoy my money. Now I travel, I buy a bunch of plants. I, you know, enjoy my money, but also at the same time, you know, making sure that 65 year old me is going to be okay. So that's how I kind of motivate myself and my younger clients around saving for retirement is like, yeah, take care of present you, but you also need to take care of future grandma you who's going to be kick-ass and amazing.
0: Okay, that
1: is so true and so amazing. And honestly, I feel like I'm hearing my dad a little bit too. He's a financial advisor. (laughs) So he'll always be like, Christina, do you know how much retirement costs? Blah, 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 blah. And you know you can't rely on social security, blah, 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 blah. So anyways, are there some kind of like rules and guidelines people can follow? Like, I feel like I don't even know what they are, but I've heard like, oh, maybe you should spend only like 30% of your money per month should go to rent or X amount of money should go to savings, X amount of money should go to like entertainment and fun. So like, are there, I know you said like personal finances are personal, but are there like some guidelines that people should follow?
2: So I don't go by a percentage because again, like everybody's financial situation is different, mm-hmm. but as far as saving money, what, I, what I've done in my own life and again, what I do with clients is like, it should feel a little sticky like it shouldn't be you afford you can afford everything that you want right now but you also shouldn't be completely depriving yourself. So that's a medium that you kind of have to find over time. So for me personally when I was working a 9 to 5 job, that ended up being about 27% of my take home pay was saved,
1: which sounds is is a lot for most 27% people. you were saving.
2: 27% of just my 9 to 5 salary. And were
1: you and so living seven- at home or were you living on your own?
2: No. I was paying $1,500 for my Seattle apartment. So, and still going out to eat and still doing all of those things. And I think at the time I was making 70,000 pre-tax. And this is the other things, like I'm happy to talk specific numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, yeah, uh, my take-home pay was about 27%. And that was enough where I felt like, okay, I can still go out to eat, but I just can't go out to eat all the time, right? Mm -hmm. I can't go out to eat constantly. And I can still save money, but it's not like, yeah, I'm putting for me at least like all of it away. So it was a happy medium. So that's what I do with clients is it like it should feel a little sticky, it should be like right in the middle. Um the, the experts say that the goal eventually is to get to 20% of your take-home pay just saved for retirement, mm-hmm. which is a really hard number I think for most people to to get to. That's really potentially unrealistic for a lot of people, but that is your goal over time. That's not necessarily right out of school or, you know, while you're paying off debt, but that is something to aspire to is that hopefully at at some point in your career, you're making enough money where you can put aside with hopefully an employer match about 20% of your take-home pay um, invested for retirement.
0: Wow. That's such such fun. I don't think I've heard anyone talk about it like that. So I'm just like, Oh, so many good takeaways there. I feel like all of this can be overwhelming. Let's say someone is in debt or like, where do they start? What would you say is the place to start? Because there's like so many things. Like, oh my God, I gotta invest. If I have credit card right. debt, if I pay off credit card debt. What student would, loans. Student loans. What is your, like, where where should someone start?
2: I love this question. Number one financial priority is an emergency fund. Number one. I don't care how much debt you have. I don't care if you have tens of thousands of dollars of student loans. Like you need an emergency fund. And obviously we're recording this during COVID where it is more important, I think, than ever to have an emergency fund. I got chills. So, <laughs> it is It is like, do not pass go, do not collect $200 until you have an emergency fund. For me, that is at least three months of living expenses. For a while, you heard a lot of financial experts say like $1,000 and then proceed to pay off debt. But I mean, again, this is COVID has proven that a thousand dollars is not going to get you very far. No worries. So at the bare, bare minimum, I would say one month of living expenses is your first goal, but really try to get to three months of living expenses before you proceed to to the other financial steps that needs to be in a high yield savings account. I'm happy to send you the one I recommend for the show notes, but that is so important because your average bank is earning you like pennies in interest. And if the money's just going to sit there, which is what we want with an emergency fund, it needs to be working harder for us. So, it needs to be in a high yield savings account.
0: Wait, can
1: you just tell us real quick what is the high yield savings account? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, it is an online account um, that is literally the same as like a brick and mortar bank. So, whether you're at a local bank or a national bank, like I don't know, Chase, Wells Fargo, it is just more interest. So, like a Chase, Wells Fargo account is going to give you like 0.01%. Yeah. It's
1: terrible. It's like absolutely BS.
2: Yeah. And as of you and I's conversation right now, it's about a high yield savings account is really over 0.5%, which okay. doesn't sound like a huge increase, but you go from 0.01 to 0.5 or 0.6. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's miles better, right? So again, if the money's just going to sit there, that one of the easiest financial changes you can make to immediately earn more money is just moving your money to a high yield savings account or getting started in a high yield savings account. And then the kind of financial game plan after that. So you have your emergency fund, then you need to pay off your high interest debt. So that's typically credit cards, payday loans. Um, payday loans are a whole other conversation, but the average payday loan in this country is 400% interest. Wait, what you is know that? I, even a know, type I don't of? know what a
1: payday loan
2: is. Oh, so a payday loan, um, they target, again, predatory financial practices. They typically target low-income um, people of color. Have you ever heard of like, I don't want to call them out by brand name, but it's easiest to do this, like a money tree or like a check cashing place. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Yep. So if you go in, right, and you get a payday loan, the idea, right, is that, oh, I just need a loan to my next payday. But typically what happens, the majority of people who are actually taking out payday loans, this is a recurring thing. Mm -hmm. This is not like a one-time emergency. This is happening every month. And so the average like student loan in this country is about four to five percent. The average credit card is still super expensive, but that's at fifteen to thirty. These payday predatory loans are at four hundred percent.
1: No, that's wait, insane. is this like the loan shark? That like is that the other name for loan shark? Kind of
0: similar. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we're, we're throwing everybody under the bus all here. <laughs> no, it's just
2: I'm calling them out. I you love it.
1: To. No, but that's absolutely terrible because it's like you need money and, and you're being to- so taken advantage of.
2: Right, and it and it disproportionately targets low income people of color, typically black and and black and Latina and Latino families. Gosh,
1: that that stresses me out because you get into like this vicious cycle, and then you Mm -hmm. can't get yourself out of it, and then you're just digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper.
2: And that's why this financial I'm going to go on a full on rant here, but this is why this financial advice of like you're not working hard enough, right, Mm -hmm. or like if you wanted it badly enough, you just make it happen, or like the American dream is available to everybody. It's just not true. Mm. Right. And then you have these predatory, you have these predatory companies who prey on, on people who are already struggling. Right. And yeah. So opening up a credit card when you don't know, you know, what, what the, what the parameters are taking out a payday loan with 400% interest, like this, this changes your life forever. And it's so hard. It's like, you know, throwing sand into a hole you're trying to dig yourself out of. So yeah, that's, that was a whole other tangent, but yes, I think it's, it's again, important to talk about personal finance of not just like how, but the, how we got here, right? All of the systemic issues, all of the, the ways that, that we haven't been financially educated. Um, okay. Rant over. But, <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, the second thing after an emergency fund um is to pay off your high interest debt. So for most people, I think that is credit cards. Um and the reason why we prioritize the emergency fund is we don't don't want you going into more debt trying to pay for an emergency, mm-hmm. right? And then also just like the peace of mind of having something in the bank should something happen. Um but yeah, credit cards are really expensive, obviously. If you do have a payday loan, that's even crazy expensive. So Make sure that you're sending in any extra money that you have in addition to making your minimum payments. And that's how you can pay off your debt faster. Um, The third step is paying off your lower interest debt, typically student loans, mortgages, car loans, while starting to invest for retirement. So whether that's a 401k, an IRA, or something else. Um, And then while you're kind of doing step three, what I call step four is like the big stuff. So saving for a down payment on a house, saving for a wedding, saving for a kid, Starting your own business, trying to retire early, whatever that looks like. So yeah, steps three and four are kind of together, where you're paying off your lower interest debt, you're starting to save for retirement, and then you're also starting to save for these kind of bigger life goals.
1: Okay, so this is what I'm confused about, right? So if most of America is living paycheck to paycheck, yeah, how can they possibly, how can people possibly start saving for retirement if they're literally like paying off their bills every month and can't even and have to wait until their next check to continue paying their bills. Like how can they possibly start saving for retirement because if you get a little bit of extra money, I could understand being in that situation being like, "Oh my gosh, we could finally take that family vacation or we can kind of right. do that." So like I mean, what is there any sort of like tips to like getting out of that?
2: I'm glad you asked this question. I mean, it's tricky no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, again, these are the larger systemic issues that we have to talk about, too, of of programs and systems that don't support people who are just trying to make ends meet. Right. Um, and I try to not sound like the out-of-touch financial expert, but I the my actionable tip is to try to automate your savings. So if that's even 10 bucks a month or $20 a month is taking your bank account and setting it on an automatic transfer. Mm-hmm. So like maybe that's once a month or twice a month. I'm taking this amount of money out of my checking and immediately moving it to savings. And that's what we call in the industry, paying yourself first. Meaning that before you've even paid your rent, before you bought your groceries, you're setting aside money for savings. And it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars. It can be whatever you can cover. Um, in terms of living paycheck to paycheck, we like to think that the, really there's like two financial issues at the core, right? You're either not making enough money or you're spending the money that you have, right? right? So it's either like an earning problem or a spending problem. And so anything you can do to increase your income whether that is, you know, getting a better paying job and negotiating better pay or asking for a raise or, you know, taking on more hours if that's feasible for you, these are all ways that you can kind of accelerate that financial growth. Otherwise, these these little shifts of like automating your savings, moving your money to a high-yield savings account, right, doesn't require any more work from you. It's just an immediate change where you're earning more money and then taking on any any you know, there are some opportunities like an employer match, right, where that is free money. So if you contribute a certain percentage, right, maybe that's a 3% employer match. If you can contribute 3% or even 2%, the company will match you whatever you contribute. So that's free money immediately. So if you do have that option, um, that's a good one to take as well. But again, offer yourself some grace. Like, you know, I was one of the people that uh, I, you know, I got so many messages around the pandemic of like, what do I do? And Mm -hmm. how do I manage my money? I've lost my job or you know i i've lost my health insurance and none of us really have the answers which is hopefully like reassuring <laughs> because i you know i i i can only tell you use your emergency fund if you have it and if you don't and you're trying to you know you're trying to you know, figure out how to pay your bills a 0% interest credit card for a period of time is your best option like it is and so yeah it's it's hard it's hard when we're in a global pandemic where i don't have all the answers either it's, it's it's unprecedented. We've never been in this situation before and just offer yourself some, some grace and love and know that you're not alone in that.
0: And that's why I think it's so important to have these conversations and be open because I think there's a lot of, can be a lot of shame around money. Like to admit, like, like two years ago I was in like $20,000 in debt and I had to tell my boyfriend at the time. And I was like sick for days. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people are are scared so then their situation just keeps getting worse because they don't want to have these conversations they don't want to talk about right. it so that's why I think it's so important to have these conversations especially now more than ever when we're in such scary un- unprecedented times um, so we're very thankful that we have someone like you Tori <laughs> um, that means a lot thanks and that so- kind of leads in so I feel like nowadays everyone has like a side hustle that's kind of a big thing that people definitely want to turn in into a career, and I know you have a course on this, but if you could share like a little bit a tidbit without you know not giving away too much, but do you have any tips for someone who is starting their their side hustle, which I think a lot of people are doing in quarantine right now, how to turn that into a successful business?
2: yeah, so her first hundred k actually started as a side hustle three and a half years ago, so I was yeah growing um, growing my business on the side of a nine to five in marketing and Um, I mean, there were so many things I wish I knew, um, one really actionable. Um, please make sure you're saving money for taxes. (laughs) Like make sure that you're setting aside about 30% for taxes because, uh, I remember getting around to tax season and being like, oh my gosh, I made so much money. And then it was like, oh, nope, you got to pay way more than you thought you did in order to run this business. So, and that goes into pricing yourself as well. Like when you're pricing yourself, a dollar project is not a thousand dollars of income. Right. A thousand dollar project after 30 percent for taxes and after, let's say, 20 percent for expenses is suddenly five hundred dollars to put in your pocket. Right. So consider that when you're pricing yourself, consider not only your experience, not only, uh, you know, how much time a project's going to take you, but also you have you are in charge of your own taxes and your own expenses. If you're a W-2 employee, a.k.a. you work a nine to five job, the money that you get, right, your take home pay already has taxes taken out of it. So that was that was a big wake-up call for me of like learning the first year of side hustling. Oh yeah, I'm in charge of paying my own taxes and it's more than I thought it would be. Um, so set aside that money for taxes from the get-go. In terms of growing your business, I think it's also really tempting to try to be everything to everybody. I made that mistake early on of like, okay, I don't want to ostracize anybody, so I'm going to... You know, build a business that is for everybody, right? And anybody can come take my advice. And what you don't realize when you're doing that is in trying to be everything to everybody, you're nothing to nobody. Mm-hmm. right? Nobody can feel like they can actually connect with you because they're like, okay, what exactly does she do? Like, is is this for me? Like does it make sense to work with her? And so when I got really clear that for me, my audience was largely millennial and now kind of gen Z women, who are liberal who are committed to building their wealth and committed to learning about money as a way to not only create financial stability for themselves but also to fight the patriarchy to see this as an act of protest you know this is their first 100k it's not their 10th it's not their 20th it's them you know kind of first getting started as soon as i got really clear as to who my audience was everything transformed for me and so that's that's something i wish i i heard more people talk about is like really being clear on who your audience is and and not trying to appeal to everybody because you want everybody's money right you want everybody to be a customer but actually not being potentially like controversial or not you know taking a stand on something and not being really clear as to who you're serving actually makes it really hard for people to connect with you in an authentic way
1: yeah and i think that translates into like any business or into like any totally. type of side hustle that you're doing um, I have a couple specific questions if this is okay with you. So I am 32 years old. I am going to have a baby, we are trying to invest. Congratulations. Thank you. Um and there's like so many things that come into my life when I'm thinking about money and specifically when it comes to like freelancing, something that I've learned is that if you don't have a typical 9 to 5 job, it is very hard to get loans out. Like if you want to buy a house, you can't get right. like a a traditional loan. It's like very, very difficult. So do you have any advice for people in, in my sort of situation? Like what are things that people can do to make them seem more appealing if they're looking for a loan, if they're looking to invest more money?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it's with Um mortgages don't you have to have like three years of like income? Yes, it's something like that and because yeah, i'm
1: It's so hard and you have to prove your income and it has to be three years of consistent income So you could have made like 200 grand one year and you could have made like 60 grand and then you could have made like 500 grand But if they don't see that consistency if they don't see like 10k coming every month It doesn't matter how much money you have in your account which is like is so confusing because I'm like, I have money, take my money, like I wanna buy something. <laughs> and it's been like really challenging. And I, I've I'm like... buy naked, it, God damn it. Yeah. Right. And I have a lot of I've been speaking to a lot of people who are in this situation and it's just very, very hard for freelancers who have uh, who don't have a typical, you know, W two or nine to five job.
2: Yeah. Um honestly, if I'm being honest and I'm happy to look into it for you, I don't know if I have a workaround right off the top of my head because mm-hmm. it's something that I don't I rent, I don't own uh property. And it's something in the back of my mind, too, of like, okay, well, if you want to buy something, you got to wait two more years. <laughs> so I think the biggest thing, if if you're trying to take out a loan um, and you know, like, maybe it's in two years you want to buy a house or, you know, you you have goals of doing that, anything you can do to boost your credit score right now is going to be amazing. So there's three components of a credit score. Your credit history, which is basically how long you've had credit for. Typically, it's like when you've opened your first credit card or when you took out your first loan. That's That's... You know so if I did it seven years ago, I have seven years of credit history, so that's part of it, and that's kind of out of your control right because it's like whenever you whenever you started it. the second is are you a reliable borrower meaning do you pay your bills on time and in full mm-hmm. right are you carrying a balance on your credit cards? That's a no no are you not paying your bills on time right so if you can get Uh, get to the point where, yeah, you're not putting anything on a credit card that you can't afford. You're making sure you're submitting all your payments on time and in full. You're not just paying minimum balances. Um, That can help boost your credit score. And then the third that I wish more people talked about is what they call credit utilization. So what that means is like if you have a $10 or $10,000 credit line on a credit card, if you're utilizing under 30% of that, you're considered to be a responsible borrower meaning you're not putting more than $3000 on that credit card. And if you can do even less, like 10%, then that's that's even better. So, a great way to boost your credit score is to ask your credit card company for a credit line increase and then just don't use it. So, if you're at $10,000 credit line, ask for something like 15, they'll probably give it to you because they want you to spend more money and then just don't spend any more money. So, now if you're spending $3000 on that credit card, but now you're at a $15,000 credit line, Suddenly, your credit utilization rate is a lower percentage. So I've gotten to the point where I only utilize about three percent of my credit. So I could spend hypothetically, like I think seventy to eighty thousand dollars a month on my credit cards. That's my credit lines for all my credit cards, but I don't. Right? And so, in doing so, your your credit, your credit card companies are seeing you as a responsible borrower, meaning that you're you're not maxing out your cards every month. So
1: wow, is there such good credit tips. early?
2: Yay! Establishing credit early and then really making sure that yeah you can use utilize as as less of that credit line as possible or as as what is what is the word I'm looking for as least of your credit card as possible or least of your we get line what you're possible? saying <laughs> yeah thank you um, so that can help boost your credit and obviously when you have a lower credit score or excuse me a higher credit score you you pay less in interest right so because you're considered a more responsible borrower so when you do take out that mortgage or when you do go to buy your car or you know, insert applying for a loan here, you have the opportunity to have a lower interest rate because you have a higher credit score.
1: Wow, that is so interesting. I've never heard about credit utilization. I think that's what you called it, right? And for yeah. me, I'm just like, okay, if my limit is 10 grand and I'm able to pay it off, that's totally fine. And I never realized. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't even think. it. I feel like that's a very like sneaky and tricky. And how would people know that
2: they're predatory? Yeah, that's, that's super messed what? up. When you spend more money on credit cards and when you go into debt, guess who profits? It's the credit card. For company. sure. So they don't want you to know. They it, don't want you to know. God, this is
0: all so fucked up. What I the know. hell?
1: <laughs> Wait, is there a goal credit score? Like, what should we be aiming for?
2: So eight fifty is like creme de la creme. Um, my mom has. She's an 842 credit score. Wow. Damn girl. Which is like pretty much, you can't really get to 850.
1: Right. Like If you have a credit card. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, and you have to have like typically a credit card or a line of credit to build credit, right? Right. So, um, but my parents don't carry credit card debt. They're really good about that. So yeah, my mom has, she brags about it to me. She's like, yeah, 840, no big deal. Um, So I'm at, I mean, the last time I checked, I'm like at 801 or 802, which I'm super proud of. Typically anything over I think it's now like 700 to 750 is considered like pretty much excellent mm-hmm. and I think the good ratio is like 650 to 750. I'm trying to remember right off the top of my head. So aiming for like over 700 is a good goal, over 750 if you can manage it.
1: May I ask you something? Um why sure. can you not close credit cards?
2: Oh, to, to for it to hurt your credit score. Yeah. Cuz that seems super messed up close. too. Yeah, so um let's say that you're trying to close a credit card that you've had for seven years. Let's say that was your first credit card. If you close that credit card, then let's say you only got a credit card two years after that, then your credit history is five years instead of seven. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. So it like erases your credit history.
2: It shortens your credit history, thus potentially affecting your credit score.
0: Okay. So So that is why.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you will recover, right? And especially if it's a credit card that you didn't have for a super long period of time. I'm a big believer, like, if you're not using a credit card, just put it like in your drawer, put it somewhere safe, put it in, you know, literally a safe, keep it somewhere secure, and just don't use it. Like mm-hmm. I have credit cards, like my first ever credit card, I opened a Discover card when I was 18. And I have cards now that are, that are better benefits, right? And so I don't really use that card anymore. But I still keep it in my wallet. It's still there if I need it. It's just, it's just not active and I don't cancel it because that was my longest form of credit history. So if I did cancel it, suddenly, you know, I've lost a year or I've lost two years. So that's one of the reasons why it's just kind of a blanket rule of don't cancel your credit cards. You would recover if you canceled your credit card, assuming you know, you kept up with good habits from then on. But yeah, it's just kind of a good blanket rule to not cancel.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's what I've always heard. I never understood. So I'm so happy that. Yeah you said that. We're
2: Uh, like biting at the bit to ask you so many questions. I know. (laughs) Literally, I this is what I do. I could sit here for three hours and answer all your questions. So happy to
1: what are your thoughts on money and in relationship to taxes? So for example, we live in California, um, state income taxes, one of the highest here, it can be up to like 13%. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm like, and I've been hearing about like this mass, like Exodus out of California, people moving to Florida or Texas where like state income tax, where there is none, or like the taxes are so much lower. Kind of, what are your thoughts on that? And should people... How like millennials take- like should be thinking about that when they're choosing a place to live?
2: Um, I'm not an accountant, so that's my legal <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> okay. But um, I think, yeah, we are seeing like an exodus, especially when more and more people are working from home. It's right. like, well, why would I pay $2,500 for a Bay Area apartment if I could go get an entire house in Indianapolis for that much money? Right. And I live in Seattle, which is, yeah, one of the top 10 most expensive cities as well. And I mentioned already, but I pay $1,500 for like a 650 square foot apartment which is actually cheap in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the the issue right is like when you leave a California, you know, a, an LA or a Seattle, what happens is you yes, you're paying less in taxes, but you're potentially making less money too. Right, because if you're moving to like again, I'm just picking on Indianapolis for some <laughs> reason, but like let's say it's Indianapolis, right? Your cost of living is a lot lower, but in in you know, taking that that advantage, you're also potentially losing some money. Um, with taking a job, a lower paying job. So, um, but if you if you can work from home at a you know a, a company that's based in a higher cost of living area, where you can do remote work, yeah. I mean, I'm having that dilemma a lot where you know I want to start traveling, I want to go to places that are going to cost me less money um, because now I can I can work from anywhere. I'm location independent. So why would I keep spending fifteen hundred dollars to rent in Seattle? So. Um, I don't know if I have an answer for you, but there there is that kind of trade off, right? Of like, okay, if you move to a lower cost of living area, yeah, you're saving on rent, but hopefully you're either keeping your job, right? Because then you might lose some of the benefits of working in a bigger city.
0: For
1: sure, yeah, I think it's I think it's something that a lot of people are thinking of right now, especially with COVID, just trying to like rethink their lives.
0: Oh, I for sure yeah. am. I'm like, what, uh, ew, how much do I pay to live here? And now that right. everything is from home, I think yeah, it's making a lot of people rethink where they're at.
2: Right. Well, and for me, I, I had a lot of international travel plan this year. Uh, yeah. And I was supposed to be in Australia and New Zealand right about this time. And like, that didn't happen. And so, yeah, I'm doing the like, okay, if I can't travel the world, I'll travel the United States, for you sure. know, like, I'll sit up in an Airbnb in New Mexico for a month. Because why, not? why not? You know? And so, uh, yeah, this is all we, I could talk to you, you both about this later, but like, I'm going like, okay, do I spend the money to rent in Seattle? And then also spend roughly that amount of money to rent an Airbnb somewhere. Right. Because I have my stuff here. I have all of that. So yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about this too, of what makes sense, especially in a world where we literally don't know what tomorrow's going to bring between, murder hornets and wildfires and oh my the election gosh. and everything else. So yeah, it's really hard to plan right now financially, emotionally, socially. It's hard to it's hard to have any sort of concrete life plan right now.
1: It's so true. And I, I mean, you have so many amazing courses and I saw you have something, a free course on emotional spending, on curbing emotional spending. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because especially yeah. right now, I feel like we're spending less money in certain ways. We're spending more money in other ways. Um, so what is emotional spending, first of all?
2: It's me buying a $75 pregnancy pillow at the minute, middle of uh, quarantine, even though I'm not pregnant and not planning on becoming pregnant. That's <laughs> Wait, really? Spending. See,
0: that sounds mm-hmm. smart to me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I
2: mean, it was like best purchase of my life, but it was like, I mean, it was 100% to emotionally cope. And I mean, that's the first part <laughs> that I talk about as part of the course is like sometimes... That is necessary. Other times you are spending money on things that like, you you know, maybe the Starbucks every day brings you so much joy, or maybe the Starbucks you buy every day, you don't even taste anymore and is out of habit or routine. Right. And so emotional spending is all about like, what are the things that are triggering you um, to, to spend money? And all three of us, I think, are curvy women and we're in the body positive movement as well. It's very similar to relationships with like food or your, you know, your wellness or anything else, right? As it's like, do I have an impulse to do this or to do that? And, and at the same time, recognizing like you're perfect just the way you are. And it's okay to, it's okay to do some of those things, right? It's okay to eat if you're hungry. Um, and so it's okay to spend money, like if you think that's actually going to make your life better. But there's so many times where I am bored and I go and I eat food because I have nothing better to do. I feel like that's the story of
1: my life. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's the same thing with spending money, right? So um, what we do in the course is we just walk you through kind of like some questions to ask yourself before you're making a purchase of like, yeah, is this thing actually going to bring you joy? How many times are you going to use this thing, right? Like what's your cost per use? And um, really giving you permission to of course keep spending money, but to spend it more mindfully because you worked really hard for that money. You worked really hard to earn that money. And I don't want you spending it on bullshit that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. I want you spending your hard-earned money on things that you actually like and that actually bring you joy. Um, and yeah, I filmed it during COVID. So there is you know, the element of like, of course, you're going to be emotionally spending right now. Of course, you're going to be emotionally eating. Of course, you're going to be emotionally doing a lot of things. So again, allowing yourself grace. And then also just at least being more mindful of when you're doing that. And if there's there's a more healthy swap that you can make,
1: okay. And that's one of your free courses, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'll so, send you the link. If yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes because I think at the very least that's something that we should all be taking. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's really important because it's really easy to get caught in the like add to cart like cycle.
1: Oh my right? gosh! Oh, like, so oh, I'm so easy. I'm just buying this
2: thing, and I'm buying this thing, and I see this ad on Instagram, and I'm buying this thing, and yeah, it it can get really potentially out of control to the point where Yeah, I I never. I'm never going to tell you to not not spend money because that's not sustainable. That's not fun. That's not what I'm about. At the same time, I don't want you spending your money on things that you don't actually like.
1: Gosh, I need to stop my three AM purchases.
0: She is the queen (laughs) of waking up in the middle of the night and online shopping. Yes, it's
1: it's especially during COVID. I don't do it as much anymore. But like in the from, I would say from March to June. Um, I, mm. I think I was nearly pregnant and I couldn't sleep anyways, and I would wake up and just order things. And then honestly, things would arrive at my door and be like, what the heck did I even buy? Like <laughs> right. not even knowing right. what this Amazon is just the worst because, and the best right. at the same time, because they got all your information. You don't even have to add to cart. You could just do buy oh, now. <laughs> now. Yeah. So yeah, That's I right, need I this course is what I'm trying to
0: say.
2: Yeah, and I think if that is you, and that's how I've kind of advertised the course of if you're at the end of the month and you're like, where the fuck did my money go? This is for you.
0: Um, Sign me up,
1: baby. Also, do you sleep with your <laughs> do you sleep with your phone in your room? I sleep with my phone pretty much like to my ear to my cheek. I, it is terrible. I don't go to sleep without I listen to podcasts to put me to sleep. So oh. I literally have my phone on my night table, Wait, right to next worry. to my head. I'm in my
2: bathroom.
0: In your bath. Wait, I mean, what's the, tell us about this. Yeah. Why is that a terrible thing? um, I'm going to get cancer and die.
2: Well, the Ariana Huffington inspired it. I don't know if you guys know her story. So obviously Huffington Post, Mm -hmm. she was running herself so ragged. She she wasn't sleeping. She was yeah sleeping with her phone right next to her. And at one point she literally collapsed from exhaustion and like cut her cheek. I think it was her cheek or her chin, like just slashed it because she was like in her kitchen and she hit the corner of her countertop because she just collapsed because she was so tired. And so she left the Huffington Post and started like this whole company about wellness and about like sleeping more. And so her big thing is like, do not sleep with your phone in your bedroom. Mm. And so there's sometimes where like, literally it's like, I'm on my phone and then I plug it in and then I go into get into bed. You know, sometimes it is the last thing I look at before I go to bed, but I have been doing it for, gosh, four or five years where I don't sleep with my phone. Oh, wow.
0: gosh, I okay. need to do that. I need to try that. Wow. Tor, you yeah. have given us so many... <laughs> I'm like, uh, everyone have your notebooks out for this one, but what are you've given to so many good things, but what are like one to two small takeaways that our listeners can do like today to take a step closer to being financially independent?
2: Yeah. So first switch to high yield savings account, get, get a high yield savings account, making sure that you're getting the highest interest rate possible, um, or at least just higher than like 0.01, which you're earning right now. Um, and two, automate your savings. So set up an automatic transfer, even if it's just 20 bucks a month or even if it's 2% of your salary, but setting up an automatic transfer so you're doing the hard shit, you don't have to think about it, um, and you're you're taking care of it before anything else, I think is so important.
1: All right. You guys heard that. Make sure that you're doing that ASAP today. I'm opening a
0: high-yield savings today. Me too. I'm doing it.
2: (laughs) I'll send you a link.
1: Thank you so much, Tori you have so many amazing courses, so many great takeaways. Is there just one that you would like to promote or something that... Where can everyone come find you?
2: No. I'm at HerFirst100K on all platforms. So uh, herfirst R S T one zero zero k and then HerFirst100K.com. My signature course is Personal Finance 101. Um, we talk about how to budget, no apps, no spreadsheets required. We talk about how to pay off debt, um, your retirement account options, and more detail about those. And yeah, it's my favorite. It's it's just kind of the signature cover all personal finance basics. So um, yeah, I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Those are my two primary platforms. Line my DMs, come say hi. But thanks for having me, both of you. This has just been so fun.
1: No, we appreciate it so much. And we hope that for our listeners, you guys really learned a lot because I know I just learned so much. I feel like I have a to-do list of things to do.
0: <laughs> Same. <laughs> that was so many good, tangible takeaways. I'm like, oh, fired up about it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And you guys for everyone listening, make sure you tune into the show notes because we'll have all the links um, to everything that Tori discussed. Thank you so awesome. much, Tori. We really appreciate thank it. Thank
2: you. And thank you, both of you. I think, I think it's, really, um, it's really easy to... Um, how do I put this kindly? To create content on the internet that is very superfluous around certain, certain concepts or around fashion or lifestyle. And I think both of you make really amazing, beautiful content that also has a message and that also is like meaty content. And so I really appreciate that. I feel like there's so many creators out there that are just like posting pretty photos on Instagram and being like, okay, I called it good. And I love that both of your content is so beautiful. And it's also just so mission oriented and so committed to like actually giving people resources and information so I just so appreciate both of both of you guys presence online
1: oh you're you're so sweet thank you thank
0: you we're just girl crushing on each other
2: all around (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) well thank
0: you again Tori this was incredible and hopefully we will chat soon sounds great